it's nice to see you. That was super embarrassing. Newt, thanks for that, mate. Really appreciate that. Not, bro. <laughs> We're going to do that for you when you finish your PhD, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, bring you, we'll, buy you, we'll buy you a drink, mate, a couple of whiskeys. Um, it's so good to see everyone. Um, it's been a while since I've been up here. Usually I sit at the back and see the back of your heads, and now I see your faces and realize how beautiful you all are, so this is a good thing. Um, and also, for those of us who are joining us online throughout the week, it's really nice for you uh, to have you with us as well. Now, Jim, I mean, Newt always uh, steals uh, my thunder, and he gives the sermon before the sermon, so thank you, New. I'm going to go over a little bit what he just said, okay? Last week, Jim spoke to us about uh, how all of us have a creative streak within us, and we all have a creative streak within us because we are all made in the image of a creator God, and uh, whether we like to admit it or not, all of us have a capacity to be creative. Where's Jim? Yeah, Jim, we're going to make a creative out of you yet, mate. So um, all of us have this capacity to order what Jim was talking about, to shape and to beautify the areas of the world around us, whether we're poets or we're potters or we're parents or we're plumbers. And it's not only the P's that get to do this, the A's also get to do this, right? Okay. So the architects, the arborists, and dare we say it, even the academics. So we, yeah, we all get to do it. Maybe you too, sometime, yeah. So um, what I'm hoping, what I'm hoping to do today and in this series is to get into the wellsprings of our creativity. And in fact, in some cases, maybe to recover our creativity so that we can all be people that have our imaginations set on fire, that we can go out, roll up our sleeves, and get our hands dirty in redemptive acts, but it's not there, of beauty, goodness, and truth. Okay? That's what it said just a moment ago, I'm sure of it. So I want to do that by asking a question this morning. Okay? How is your imagination? How is your imagination? Because what we're talking about all kind of comes out of an imagination. Is your imagination active? Do you have an active imagination? Would you call yourself an imaginative kind of person? Uh, do you pay attention to your imagination? Or is your imagination a little bit neglected? A good way to measure the health of our imaginations is to ask ourselves this question. How do you feel about the future? Often when you ask that question, it's like dropping a bomb or, or like a hand grenade in the middle of something and you, yeah, you run away, right? So, or someone jumps on it. How do you feel about the future? Think about it for a moment. Are you hopeful? Are you anxious? Are you worried? Or do you think about the future and get excited? Or do you think about the future and maybe get a little bit sad? How do you feel about the future? Maybe you don't try to think about the future at all. Okay? All right. Enough of the heaviness. <laughs> because however you answer that question this morning, I suspect, this is my inkling, that God wants to reignite our imaginations. That's what I've been feeling. 
I think God wants to reignite our imaginations. And not only does God want to reignite our imaginations, I think God wants to set our imaginations on fire. I think he wants to set it on fire so that hope can rise in us again. Right? I think some of us feel, I think our imaginations have grown rather small about the future and that our hope for the future has shrunk, but I think God wants to ignite it. That's my inkling, okay? Now, I don't think anyone's gonna find this a spoiler, okay? But we're living, I think, in an age which is a very pivotal point in the history of the human race, of this planet. Does anyone else feel that? Some churches, you know, you can go like this, or you can go, yes, we feel that. If you do feel that, okay? Come on, Anglicans, some of us, maybe not all of us, but that's okay. I think we're living through a time that is so pivotal for us. None of us, none of us have that, none of us are kind of immune from feeling the, 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 the weight, really, of climate change, of political unrest, and many of us, all those kind of... Uh, all those kind of things that we felt grounded in, I think are, have come into flux. They're moving, we're not sure exactly what we're supposed to be doing at the moment. And that's put us in a kind of a, a dodgy kind of place for thinking about the future. Maybe there isn't a future, maybe the world is going to hell in a handbasket. How do you feel about the future? And to even talk about hope at a time like this, seems to many people, and maybe to many people in this room, it seems to be foolish or just straight out naive. It's naive to talk about hope in a time like this, in the prison. You know what, I suspect that God is looking for some, ho some hopeful fools. I suspect God is looking for a hopeful fools. That's my feel. So let me ask you again, how is your imagination? How is your imagination? How do you feel about the future? This morning I wanna do a few things. I wanna talk about the importance of the imagination, and then I wanna ask how God reignites our imaginations if we have lost hope for the future. And lastly, I wanna to point to some signs of an imagination that has been set afire by God. How's that sound? I was talking to uh, Erica this morning. She said, when you're in a Pentecostal church, you interact with the audience. So I thought I'd bring some of the Pentecostal back and try and interact with you guys. It's going okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dude, that's amazing. Okay, feel free to follow suit. I don't mind a bit of heckling, okay? Just go for it, man. It's all good. Okay, so that's what I wanna do. Among all the abilities that human beings have, and I might even yell this morning, who knows? Of all the abilities that God has given to human beings, I think the greatest is the ability to imagine a future. I think it's the greatest ability that God has given to human beings. Because the imagination is not just something that children have and adults should grow out of. If you think that only children should have imaginations and adults should grow out of the imaginations, no, that's not true. That is not true. The imagination is not just child's play. 
although it is very much like child's play. And that's important to keep in mind too. But neither is it something that we leave behind when we grow into adulthood and we become mature and we face the world with reality and cold hard facts. That's not what the imagination is either. In fact, just the opposite is true. Do you know what? We grow into our imaginations. We flip that, let's flip that script, right? We don't grow out of an imagination. We grow into an imagination. Like a child who builds a small world for themselves and their friends, turning chairs into ships and stones into cars and making forts and castles out of cardboard boxes and sheets. They create a world in which they can imagine and then they step into that world, if only for a little moment. That's what the child does with their imagination. And adults grow up to use their imaginations also. What do they do with it? To create worlds. That's what adults do. You see, we live in a world that is created by imagination. We built the internet with our imaginations. Businesses and hospitals and music and art and sculpture and dance, all is built with someone's imagination. With our imaginations, we design houses, we design landscapes, we put rovers on Mars, and we build telescopes that can peer into the very edges of the known universe. All of that happens with the imagination. So the imagination is not just for children. As adults, we actually need to grow into our imagination so that we can be people that build worlds in which we and everybody else can flourish. That's what the imagination does. That's cool, right? Thanks, Erica. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so here's my, <laughs> you're going to be, you're going to, yeah, I know, I'm sorry, man. She's going to kill me tomorrow. So here's my working def definition. Oh, okay, it's gone. Here's my working definition of what an imagination is. The imagination is the ability to glimpse what shape the world might take. Okay, let me say that again. The imagination is the ability to imagine the shape that the world might take. And then it's to step into that vision and to make it a reality. That's a pretty powerful ability, right? That God has given us, that God has given every single person. Right. Where was I up to? I don't know. I got all kind of crazy. Okay, so here's another way to think about the imagination. Oh, thanks. Here's another way to think about the imagination. Think of a chrysalis, okay? Yeah, there we go. Think of a chrysalis. When a caterpillar comes to its time to make the metamorphosis, is that the right word? Scientists in the room? Metamorphosis? 
Thank you, okay, we'll go with that. Thank you. I know there's a couple of scientists in the room, so I don't want to get this wrong, but you know I will. So, when a caterpillar comes to the time to change, it, it creates a... <laughs> yeah, it creates a, it creates a cocoon, cocoon's the wrong word, a chrysalis around itself, right? It creates a chrysalis around itself. <clears throat> but even the, even the caterpillar knows that it must leave room inside the chrysalis if its antennae, if its antennae and its wings are to develop and it's to turn into a butterfly, right? It leaves room <clears throat> at the top. So that's what it does. And just like a butterfly, just like a, a caterpillar, God has given us space in our world, which we call imagination, to grow into, right? That's what the imagination is. That's another way to think about the imagination. Here's the thing, okay? When our imaginations are too small, when the room for our worlds gets too small, we fail to become the type of people and create the type of world that God has designed for us. Like the caterpillar who doesn't leave enough space in their chrysalis, they never come to their fullness. They become deformed or they never reach their potential. Okay, so that's another way to think about it. See, the human being is an imaginer. The human being is a world creator. All of us have this capacity of imagination. Now here's the difference between a child's imagination and an adult's imagination. Does anyone know, can anyone guess what that difference is? Erica? Okay. Um, here's the difference. <laughs> the difference is, is that as we grow into our imaginations, as we become adults, the worlds that we create come with greater responsibility and greater consequences. The child can pack up, can pack up the fort, and the mother or the father can fold the sheets and put them away in the cupboard, okay? That world can be collapsed and they can come back to, another, to the world that is already in play for them, right, so to speak. What happens in the, in the, when we grow into imaginations as adults, we create worlds that are very difficult to reverse. They come with great consequence. That's the difference between a child's imagination and an adult's imagination, okay? Right. Cool. So this is where I want to say that the imagination, I hope you can see that the imagination is intrinsically tied to the future. It's intrinsically tied to the future. The imagination enables us to move forward into the future. If we cannot imagine what shape tomorrow might take, what shape next week might take, what shape next year, a hundred years from now, we will never grow into that future. We will never get there if we cannot imagine it. 
And here's the danger. If we can't imagine what shape our lives might take, our imaginations are prone to be co-opted by other people's imaginations. That's the very real danger. We're all adults here, right? That's the very real danger that we face right now. Right? You don't often come to church to hear that, eh? But I think we face a danger. We face a danger that our imaginations are co-opted by self-centeredness and that a few get to hold on to all the goods that, are right, that should rightly be available to everybody. We get imaginations that are co-opted by people that want to make the world a destructive kind of place. We get imaginations that are co-opted by people that are dehumanizing the world for ourselves and for each other. We get imaginations that are co-opted if we cannot imagine a better future to live in. Great responsibility, great consequences, great potential. Everybody here has this potential to create a different world. How's your imagination this morning? How's your imagination? So, what shapes our imaginations matters. Right, Erica? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Erica. So what should shape our imaginations? Yesterday I was in, yesterday I was sitting in a cafe, and behind me was sitting a group of teenagers, which was awesome, because uh, I was trying to write the sermon. <laughs> it was epic. But then, as so often happens, it was gold. It was gold for the sermon. So what these, what these teenagers were talking about was mostly about who they were dating, and I've learned how to write a Tinder profile, which is super helpful, and know not what to do now. Yeah, you know, don't put pictures of your, you know, whatever you're eating up online, and definitely, yeah, anyway. So, um, but what the, t- what the conversation turned to was their outlook on the world, and this is how it went. And Matt Maslin, if Matt Maslin's in the room, he's up the back, up the back, where's Matt? He, maybe he's not here. If Matt Maslin's in the room, he's, he's, he's done a lot of research on kind of antinatalism, and the conversation actually turned to that, and they were super like, who would bring children into this world? Who would be foolish enough? Who would be naive enough to bring children into the world right now? This is teenagers talking about about their experience of the world. It was like reading the front page of The Guardian. It was super depressing. It's super depressing. And so, but the thing is, man, I get it. Don't you get it? I get it, man, I feel that. I just wanna say, yeah, man, amen, to these kids that were sitting behind me. But something in me is like, there's gotta be more to life than just the front page and the news feeds that we just ingest daily, hourly, by the minute. There's gotta be more to life than this. And in fact, I believe that there is. You see, the Bible tells us that a healthy and active imagination, a hopeful imagination, is shaped by the extent 
that it grows into an understanding, first of all, that the world is made by a good and loving creator. That's the baseline of everything that happens in the Bible. The world is made by a good and loving creator. Now, that's important because if the world is made by a good and loving creator, then he has never and never gives up on his redemptive plan for the world. In fact, no matter how far we walk away from him, no matter how far we run away from him, he never gives up on restoring this world, okay? We're gonna come back to that as well. In fact, God is always cracking open the present to a greater and hope-filled future. He is cracking it open. If you feel like you're in a place at the moment where you have that chrysalis wrapped around you, there's no room. God has the ability to crack open your present. I'm gonna come back to talk about how God does that. One of the greatest hope-filled imaginative responses to a present world that is crumbling apart comes in Luke's Gospel. It's not our reading today. It comes in Luke's Gospel 4. When one of John's disciples, who's John the Baptist, who's in prison, sends his disciples to Jesus with this question, are you the one that we should hope in? Are you the one that we should hope in? Or should we hope for another? Man, Erica, I just feel like that's our question today. I, I know. I, I do, though. I do. I feel like that's our question. Jesus, Jesus, are you the one that we should hope in? Or should we hope for another? Are you the one? Are you the one? And this is what Jesus replies. How's this? Go and tell John that the blind will receive their sight, that the lame will walk, that the sick will be healed, that the deaf will hear, that the dead will be raised, and the poor will hear the good news preached to them. Does that sound like a God that's given up on the world? Nah, yo. Whew, I wasn't expecting that. That's awesome. It doesn't sound like a God that has given up on the world. Right? That's the kind of God that we're, that we're talking about. But that kind of imagination is risky, man, in a world today. It's super risky to preach hope in a world like today. It's risky because it dares to crack open our anxiousness. It dares to crack open our worry. It dares to crack open our hopelessness to a future that we hardly dare. But I have to say that I think we must dare to imagine. Oh, this is good. I'm starting something here, dude. I, I can feel it. I can feel it. This is awesome. Thank you. Okay. Following, just, following Jesus is super risky. 
following Jesus is risky. But no one ever, says it, no one ever said it wasn't going to be risky, right? But it's also an invitation to hope. So let me ask you again. How's your imagination? How's it going with your imagination? How do you feel about the future? Yeah? Okay, we're going to go to our reading today. We're coming into land, as Newt would say. So, what do we do if we've lost our hope? What do we do? What about choices? (laughs) There's probably not many choices, right? But there is a choice, and this is what we do. If you recall our reading, I don't have it up on the screen because I just want to talk to you, okay? And I don't want you to be distracted (laughs) by the words on the screen. So if you remember back to our reading today, what we find in the beginning of that reading is two disciples of Jesus walking to Emmaus. Now the first thing to notice here is that the two disciples are walking in the wrong direction. They're facing the wrong way. You see, the thing in Luke's gospel is everything in Luke's gospel points towards Jerusalem. It goes towards Jerusalem. And here are the disciples of Jesus walking towards Emmaus, which is seven miles away from Jerusalem. In Luke's gospel, Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem. It's the place of the crucifixion. It's the the center of the Last Supper. It's where the resurrection happens. It's where the spirit is sent. Everything in Luke's gospel happens in Jerusalem. And here are two disciples walking away. So here's what I wanna say. Thank you, that's awesome. That's also quite good. We could go to the center one. We'll get there. Here's the thing I want to say. Well, this is, this is kind of tension-filled. All disciples of Jesus lose their hope sometimes. Okay? That's just how it is. All disciples of Jesus lose their hope. If you've lost your hope, if you're here today and you've lost your hope, it's okay. It happens. It's happened to me. Man, it's happened to me more than once. You know? Eric has left. Okay, so what does Jesus do to disciples that have lost their, their imagination and their hope? What does he do? If you recall, what happens is that Jesus comes and walks with them. He walks with them. We don't have a God that gets angry when we lose our hope and our imagination. We have a God that walks with us. In fact, he rushes to our side. Okay, that's exactly the kind of God that we have. And they don't recognize him. In fact, the text says that their eyes are kept from recognizing them. And here's why I think that is the case, okay? There's probably different ways to explain this, but here's my take on it, okay? You can correct me later, Newt. I think they don't recognize him because God doesn't bust into our world and just take hold of us and shake us around and say, you idiot, you don't get it? He doesn't do that. He draws alongside of us and he helps hope to rise. 
And in fact, he does that by moving into our world. He moves into our world. And you reflect on how, what Jesus asks him. What does he say? He says, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? He asks them what they're, what tru- what's troubling them. What's, what's happening in your world? What are your challenges? What's, what's, what's taking away your hope? Paul Tillich, who is uh, <laughs> the, great, the great theologian Paul Tillich said, most sermons, <laughs> you like, okay, well, let's see about this. Most sermons are answers to questions that nobody's asking. Yeah? Yeah, exactly. God doesn't do that. God comes to us and he says, what's on your mind? What's happening with you? And then he listens, and he listens with care and in love and with attention. That's what God does, okay? That's the first step. And what do they tell him? Well, they actually tell him everything that's happened and none of it's wrong. They give him the data about Jesus, about himself. Oh, well, we knew we were following a man called Jesus of Nazareth. Know that they don't call him the Messiah, they call him Jesus of Nazareth. He was a great prophet. And the chief priests, they took him and they crucified him, and we had great hope in him, and now we're sad that he didn't turn out to be the hope that we wanted. That's all the data. I don't know if you guys have been to MoMA. Have you been to the, you know, MoMA in New York or maybe the Louvre or something like that? And have you ever seen those pointillist paintings? You know the pointillist paintings that you know, are made by pin dots? If you stand this close up to them, all you see is the, is the dots of the painting, right? But it's until you step back, until you get a much broader view of what that painting is, then you see the meaning of it. See, what the disciples had is they had all the points right. They had all the data. They had all the little points. They had their theology set out, but they hadn't stood back enough to see the meaning of it all. When we're confused, when we are lost our hope, God comes alongside us. He starts with what's troubling us. And often we start with, we start with things that maybe don't matter in the big scheme of things. Who cares? It doesn't matter. God starts where you are. But then he makes a next move. He never leaves us in that place. God never leaves us in that place. What does God say? Jesus says this. Oh, man, you foolish people. Although I liked how, Susan, you read it today, because I think it's more like how you read it. I think it's like this. Oh, you foolish people. Oh, you foolish people. Don't you know? And then he walks him through the scripture. From Moses, through the prophets, until now, the whole world has been waiting for a hope that would come that would crack open the present, something that everyone could truly hope in, and he walks them through the prophets. And don't they say that at that moment their hearts were burning within them? They were starting to get it. 
but they didn't get it fully. And then when Jesus, they walk with Jesus, and Jesus walks with them the whole way, and they finally get to the room, they say, you know, stay with us. And when Jesus breaks the bread, and he disappears. But in that moment, they get it. What do they get? What do they get? Do you know what they get? Oh man, Erica would get this, guys. Seriously. Yeah, they get hope. They get hope because what they see, what they see in the breaking of the bread is that we don't have a God that's just another politician. It's not just another religious leader. It's not just another person to hope for. What Moses saw, what the prophets saw, what the whole scriptures are about is that we have a good creator God who is willing to pour out his life unto death in order to save this world. Do you see that? Do you, the world is not something that has been given up on. We are living in a world that is actually open to hope, open to our imaginations, if we can, if we can envision it and if we can walk into it. That's what happens when Jesus breaks the bread because he breaks open the present so that hope can pour in. That, that's, what, that's what Jesus does. That's what the Eucharist is. When you come up and you take this bread, it's an act of hope. It's an act of hope that the world is not over, that your life is not over, that you have something to offer, that this world is not going to destroy itself, but that God will not let it destroy itself because he has poured himself into it. There's nothing, there's nothing, man, there's nothing that can overcome that kind of power. I don't care what politician it is. I don't care what leader it is. Nothing overcomes hope until death like that. It's epic, right? It's amazing. Okay, well, it's amazing. I'm excited. And then he disappears. Why does Jesus disappear? The uh, great theologian Hans Urs von Balthasar says he disappears back into the mission of the church. He disappears, in other words, back into you and me. We're the church. He disappears back into his mission. We become his hands. We become his feet. We become his eyes and his ears. We become his heart. We're the ones that now carry that hope. We're the ones he pours himself into. We're the imaginers. We're the world shapers. I told Erica that I was going to be Pentecostal this morning. How's that going? Is it okay? Okay? Man, we need to be people that are caught by an imagination of hope rather than an imagination of hopelessness. How's your imagination this morning? Yeah. Man, I think God wants to set our imaginations on fire. He doesn't want to just set it on fire. He wants to ignite us that hope can rise in us again, that we be people that go out of here, that we're sent out of these doors, and that we're hope-filled people. Because when we're hope-filled people, you know what? We set the imaginations of fire of the people around us. And then they set the imaginations of the people of fire around them. And then we create a world 
that is hope-filled instead of hopeless. But you have to be the ones that capture the hope first. And you only capture that hope first when you meet Jesus. Because Jesus is not just another person. He's the good creator. He's the good creator that wants to fill you with hope and say that, you know, you think the world's collapsed in on itself. It's not. It's just, it's just right now it's been broken open to hope. And you, you can be filled with that hope. And that's what the Spirit does. Comes and fills us with hope. Okay? That was not a Benny Hinn kind of move. I promise. I just got excited. <laughs> oh, I just got excited. I'm sorry. That's just what happens. Okay. I left my white jacket hanging in my wardrobe at home. Okay. Look, everybody, we're, we're, I'm coming into the land. I've got one more little passage to say, okay? And let, I think this is maybe the most important thing to say. We live in a world that is built around safety at the moment. We're built around, we need to play it safe. Don't rock the boat, okay? Whatever you do, don't rock the boat. Certainly don't speak about hope because you will look foolish and naive. Can I suggest everybody that a faith that has at the center a man nailed to a cross is not a safe religion? Right? It's not safe. We're crazy. But we're crazy in the best possible way. We're crazy in the best possible way. Listen, Jesus, let Jesus reignite your imagination. Let Jesus come to life in you again. And then you will know how to take hold of a life-filled future, a hope-filled future. And when Jesus is alive in you, you will set the imaginations of all the other people around you on fire. I'm gonna pray.